yes, I do manual labor around here. <laughs> well, good to see everybody, and uh, special greetings to uh, those of you this weekend who uh, I am speaking to uh, via video, and I pray that uh, for all of our services that the Lord's Spirit speaks through His Word. And the title of this sermon is, Don't Believe Everything You Hear. Don't believe everything you hear. Now, I suppose that you've heard that before. Maybe your parents used to say that to you along with the, you know, if, if uh, everybody was jumping off a bridge, would you jump too? You know, there's all these little uh, uh, sayings that parents pass on to their kids. And certainly one of them is, don't believe everything you hear. Now, this is a little uh, self-defeating for me tonight because uh, you're going to be listening. And... I am, in a sense, saying, don't believe everything you hear from me. Although it does bring up the question, doesn't it? What should I hear and what shouldn't I? What is my standard for hearing and what what do I allow in and what do I deny? What do I say, that's right, amen, and to what do I go, hmm? You see, there must be a standard, right? If you're not going to believe everything that you hear. It implies that you're going to believe some things that you hear, but you're not going to believe everything that you hear. So what is the difference between the some things and the everythings? And why as Christians and as a congregation is this so critical for us to uh, understand the need to not believe everything you hear? Particularly you live in a day where information is being blasted at us all the time, isn't it? You're going to get in your car and information is going to be blasted at you, possibly through the, through the, through the radio. You're going to go home and uh, you're going to get online or you're going to turn the TV on or you're going to read a book or you're going to open a magazine. And all those words that you are going to either hear or see are saying something. All of it is doctrine. All of it is worldview. All of it is teaching. It's calling. It's saying this is important or this is uh, believable. This is something to stake your life upon. And how do, you me- how do you measure or decide what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe? Again, to not believe everything means that there are going to be some things you believe and some things that you're not going to believe. And how do you know what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe? What are the, the some things that I do and the many things that, that I don't? I would dare say, if a Christian does not understand or get what we're talking about tonight, they're probably not going to remain in the Christian faith very long. There is just so much confusion and so much false teaching from the world and even within the church that can lead us astray. And not very long we are following some, we're down some path of some kind that isn't the one true gospel, or it isn't faithful to God's word, if we just believe everything that we hear uh, all the time. Now you might be sitting here saying to yourself, well, you know, not here at Bethel Church, right? This isn't, a, this isn't such an issue here. I mean, we're We're so discerning here. We're so truth-focused here. Expository preaching here. I mean, Pastor Steve, you do this all the time and do this all the time. Certainly in a congregation where we do this all the time and we do this all the time, you're not going to have to be so worried about people within the congregation uh, not being discerning in what they listen to and what they believe in. I mean, you wouldn't have anybody in a congregation like ours that would go to Family Christian Store and would somehow think to themselves that because it says Christian on the wall, that everything in here is probably good, believable, and worthy of your dollar. I mean, you wouldn't have anybody in our church that would be that way or that would turn on uh, the radio and hear a Christian station. And I mean, they they wouldn't listen to those songs and those teachers and just think to themselves, I'll just take it in. Why? Because it's a Christian radio station. I mean, those are people in other churches that are that way. Right? So why are we wasting our time on something that we're so far beyond? 
because we're such a wonderful church. Do you feel the sarcasm dripping from the ceiling right now? I hope that you do. This is a problem here. And I'll tell you how I know it's a problem here. I have enough people that recommend a book written by so-and-so or give me a book about something. Or uh, I have people that come up to me and and they'll recommend uh, or talk about in glowing terms a TV preacher like, say, Joel Osteen. And they'll be like, what a blessing. And I'm kind of like, really? You listen to him? And you go here? Now, I dare say some of you are going, I can't believe he just dropped that name. (laughs) Here's what I want to say. If you can't see it in an easy one like Joel Osteen, How are you ever going to handle the more difficult and subtle teachings that lead God's people astray? I mean, there's the kindergarten easy, and then there's like advanced calculus. It's a problem. Gullible, non-discerning, simply listening to whatever because the person says that they're a preacher or they're a teacher or they're a Christian. Therefore, it must be true because they said it. My dear congregation, whom I love, whom I've pastored for 16 years now, this is an area that we need to improve in. And John wants us to improve in. And since John was inspired by the Holy Spirit, God wants us to understand how important it is that we not believe everything we hear. And the Holy Spirit has a role to play in this so that we can be wise and discerning in a world full of words and teachings and truth. And so that's where we're going. And uh, we're going to do that as we continue our series here in 1 John. Our text is chapter 4. Our verses are 1 through 6. So let me read them for, for you. Here is what God's Word says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May God's spirit help us understand his word tonight. And we see in verse 1 that it really begins with a very simple formula. Okay, there is, there is something, first of all, that we are not to do. And he says that we are not to believe every spirit, is what it says. Do not believe every spirit. Now, this is kind of strange language to us, and we don't really talk this way about uh, teaching in terms of like spirit. Don't believe every spirit. You're like, I've never listened to a spirit. I've, I don't know what, what's that talking about? Well, this is just, you know, we're separated by 2000 years from the language of the Bible. So there are some things that are referred to in a way that would have been understandable to them. And they would have got that are a little confusing to us as an example of this. Remember it was just a, what, a couple decades ago, everyone was, was looking for a real groovy time, right? And now just the fact that I said that, all the young people here are going, and we thought he was cool. And he's not, right? But that shows you how quickly language changes, right? So here we are reading the Bible. It's been 2,000 years. And so there is a little bit of a confusing sound to this when it talks about spirit. 
What is he saying here? Well, look at verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice that it's capital S on spirit of truth, lowercase s on spirit of error. What John is doing here is he's dividing all teaching into two broad categories. On the one side, there is truth, okay, the spirit of truth, and on the other side, there is error or the spirit of error. Now, I think it's important to understand that in non-true, this includes lots of categories like almost true, somewhat true, at times true, and completely false. We sometimes think of false teaching as something that is entirely wrong, where most of the time it's mostly right, but not quite, okay? Mostly right, but just not quite. We'll get into that in, in a little bit. Truth, on the other hand, the way that God speaks He doesn't deceive. He doesn't uh, uh, shade his words and his terms. He speaks the truth. And what God says is not somewhat true or kind of true. It is all true. And it is always true. It is transcendently true. So there's a huge difference between truth and error. And behind that truth and behind that error lies a spirit of truth Or a spirit of error, which he here calls the spirit of antichrist. Okay, so God is true. All that he says is true. Satan is a liar, the Bible says. And what he does is always deceptive and always destructive. For example, think of the two famous, the most famous uh, temptations in the Bible. You begin reading the Bible, you get to Genesis 3, and here you have Satan tempting Eve. And how did Satan tempt Eve? I could read it. We don't have time. Read it later. What he does is he takes God's words to Eve about not eating of the tree of the, of the, of the fruit of the tree. And he almost quotes it exactly, but he twists it just a little bit, doesn't he? And Eve falls for it. What does he do with Jesus? Jesus temptation in the wilderness. He's not eaten for 40 days. And now he is involved in three temptations from Satan directly. And in each case, Satan twists either God's word or God's purpose in a very small little way. And how does Jesus respond to all three of those temptations? What does he do? He quotes scripture to refute the error with the truth. Satan is the father of lies. He is the father of error. God is true, and all that he says is true. So behind the truth is the spirit, the spirit of God. Behind the lies and anything that isn't true, less than true, is also a spirit, a lying spirit. Satan, one of his demons, uh, or someone doing his bidding. So what John is saying here when he says, test the spirits, Essentially, he is saying, listen to, the, listen to what they're teaching. Listen to the spiritual claims that they're making. Listen to the worldview that they're presenting. Listen to their description of reality. And everything is describing reality some, somehow. Art is doing that. Movies that you watch this week are doing that. Uh, the, the, you know, the politicians and their, what they're saying about uh, the reality of the world and what the country needs and blah, blah, blah. They're all, they're all saying They're saying things, aren't they? These words come at us just like a flood. Words all the time. Some of it is true when it is consistent with God's truth. The rest of it is error. Okay? The rest of it is error. Now, to make this simple, I I had our guys make a simple diagram here. How this, what John is saying. Okay? Behind every truth claim, there is a spirit. And there's only two options. There is the spirit of God and there is the spirit of error. And a great first step for us would be to realize that we do not live in a neutral world. 
that we are assaulted every day with worldview teaching trying to convince us to think about reality from the perspective of the marketing company or the corporation uh, or the university or the professor or the, the boss that you work for or whatever it is. Words, 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 words. They're making claims to truth. We have to be discerning whether this is from the Spirit of God or it is error. Now we look at that and what do we ask? Well, how would I know the difference, right? Because there's a lot that we have to filter. How do I know the difference between the two? And that's exactly where John is going here. How do I know? And notice what he says in verse two. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, if that language there for spirit is confusing you, just put in the word teacher. Okay? Teacher or professor or talker, reverend. Could be anybody. Okay? It helps a little bit. How do you know who is from the Spirit of God? Every teacher that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every teacher that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay? So that kind of maybe makes it simple. How do we know? Well, we know, first of all, we know uh, by what it or he or she professes. What are they confessing? What is their creed? Now, we know that John is writing into a situation. Remember the context. John's writing into a situation. His church family, they've gone through a split. The split was the result of teachers that had arisen within the church were saying all kinds of things. And we don't know exactly what they were saying. He refutes a lot of it in 1 John. So we kind of know, okay, that they must have been saying this because John says that. But one of the things that apparently was going on, these teachers were uh, teaching slightly different Christology. As it relates to the eternality of Christ and when and how he became Christ. So John says here, every teacher that denies that Jesus has come into the world, that he has come in the flesh, is not from God. And we could just sit right there on that point. So much Christology in there. Came from. What does that insinuate? If Jesus came from somewhere else before he was here, it means that he what? He existed somewhere before he came here. If I look at you and I say, you came here, it means that you didn't come into existence as you walked into the auditorium. You came from somewhere, didn't you? You came from your house. You came from the ball game. You came from wherever you were. The fact that you came here means that you existed before you were here. Did you get that? Okay. Now, in the flesh, okay, this is incarnation. This is Jesus being fully man. So the preexistence is his deity. Only God has existed prior to, to coming. He is God, eternal son of God. In the flesh, there is his manhood, fully God, fully man. Jesus, description of his personhood. Apparently, these false teachers were saying that uh, that. For example, that Jesus wasn't the Christ when he came, but that he became the Christ, that the Spirit of Christ came down upon the historical Jesus. Okay? Something like that, which was part of what uh, Gnosticism was known for. They were teaching these kinds of things. So they were saying that he wasn't necessarily the eternal or he wasn't fully God-man. So there's just a little twist on that, isn't there? He, he wasn't always Christ, he became Christ. Now I wonder how many Christians watching their favorite television preacher or radio preacher or even sitting here right now could catch the distinction between Jesus being Christ and Jesus becoming Christ. How many of you would have been like, <gasps> what did he say? You probably would have been like, that don't sound 
quite right to me? Does that sound quite right to you? I know he's pastored here a long time, but I don't think that that quite sounds right to me, right? Hopefully there'd be some little like, bloop, yellow light, something that's not quite resonating. But I wonder how many American Christians would catch a small distinction like that. And here John is saying, whoever's saying that is a false teacher. Now, we're so nice in American Christianity, aren't we? That we don't want to call anybody something bad. He means well. He's got good motives. He dresses nice. So let's cut him a break. And on it goes. The teaching just sits out there. Right? John was greatly concerned by this. Are we? Who here cares enough about the truth to get riled up about a departure from the one genuine true gospel? That's really what is at stake here. We're so blasé about things, aren't we? Okay, fine, he says what he wants, but man, what time are we getting out of here? I fear that we don't care enough about the truth. You say, why should I care about the truth? Here's why. There is one gospel that saves. One. And hell is a long time to figure out that truth matters. As J.C. Ryle said, hell is truth discovered too late. Too late. There is only one gospel that saves. And the apostles and those that have gone before us, literally shedding their blood to maintain the purity of this one gospel, that Jesus didn't become the Christ. He had always been the Christ. He was always the Son of God. Messiahship didn't just come down upon him. He was chosen by God in eternity past. He didn't appear like he was in the flesh. He was in the flesh. Because if he only appeared to be in the flesh when he died on the cross, he didn't die as our representative. And if he didn't die as our representative, we're all going to hell, friends. Okay? And who cares enough about the truth to get riled up about that? Or to say, wait a second, that's not right. Or at the very least going, I won't believe that. Why? Because I don't believe everything I hear. I have a filter. I want the truth. Not just all this blah, blah, error stuff. Give me the truth. Can you handle the truth? (laughs) Which was not in the notes, but it just came to me. (laughs) My fear is this, that you take subtle error like that and you add a winsome, compelling personality or academic credibility with degrees well he's he's smarter than me so i just must not understand it or uh the right kind of marketing and god's people i fear will believe just about anything but we're having such a good time here and the children are behaving better as a result of the children's ministry and we feel good when we leave Please don't insinuate that there's something wrong. That's what John is saying. If it's not the truth, there's something wrong. And at issue here is the gospel. You want to talk about getting riled up? Listen to Paul in Galatians 1.9. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Literally, let him be eternally damned. Now, if I get up here and throw out some names of people and I say, let them be damned, you all leave here thinking I'm like crazy guy, right? But here's the Apostle Paul, caring enough about the one gospel that saves to say, anybody who changes that, who twists that, who subtly steps away from that, may they be under the eternal damnation of Almighty God. I'll bet if the apostles showed up and preached some sermons, we would walk out offended. We don't talk like that. We're nice. We just want to be nice people, right? The apostles were not nice towards people that didn't believe 
I shouldn't say didn't believe, but who denied. In fact, that's, and that's something I think is also important to realize here is that, you know, there's a big difference between not knowing something yet and denying it. When I was six years old, I think I came to faith in Christ when I was six years old. If you came up to me when I was six years old and said, did Jesus, was Jesus always the Christ or did he become the Christ? At six, I'd have looked at you and gone, I don't know. I don't know. Talk to me in 20 years, right? There's a big difference between not knowing something and certainly children or even new Christians who they, all they know is the, this, the basics, but you know what? You know and believe the basics, you're saved. Truly, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Okay? However, if you, there's a difference between not knowing something yet and denying it. If you come to the conviction where you say, like these guys apparently were, I don't believe Jesus came in the flesh. I've thought about it. I don't believe it. I deny it. That's way different than the six-year-old who doesn't understand it yet. And to that, Paul says, false teacher. Believing the spirit of error. Believing the spirit of antichrist. A false teacher is one that denies or twists what God says is true. And he says here that if you deny the truth that the Holy Spirit is not in you, okay? If you deny the truth, the Holy Spirit is not in you. And that's the point of verses four through six. Look at what it says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So that we can say this, 1 John is broadly about identifying true Christians and false ones. But this passage is about identifying true teachers and false teachers. That's what he's getting at here. Verse 6 says true Christians listen or they, they hear the truth. They're wired to hear the truth because the spirit of God is within us. The world loves falsehood, and they listen to that. And so one way that you can know the genuine Christian from the not genuine Christian, who are they listening to? Who are they? And by listening, it's not like I accidentally had my radio on. Like if you get in your car, you rent a car, and you're driving down the road, and it's 10 minutes before you realize that you're listening to some wacky cult guy, it doesn't mean you're going to hell, okay? Listening there is not just the words going in my ears. Listening there is receiving, believing, following, embracing. That's what listening means. Now, why will a genuine Christian not do that? And what he says here is the very often quoted verse, often out of context, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I bet many of you have been Christians for a long time. You've read that verse. It's a great comforting verse, isn't it? That this world is terrible and horrible, but you know what? The one that is in us is greater than the one that is in the world. You know what? That, and that is true. But the context here is not about, you know, the sicko world that we live in and the comfort that we receive from that. It has to do with the role of the Holy Spirit within us and the fact that a genuine Christian has the Spirit And that spirit within us is greater than the spirit of error and false teaching that is in the world. And because we have the stronger spirit, we hear the truth and we do not follow the falsehood because of the spirit. It's not that we're smart. It's not that we're brilliant, insightful, none of that. This is also a fruit of God's work in our life. The spirit's in us. That's a really good point. Did you get what I'm saying there? Okay. It's not that we're smarter than other people. There's no pride in this. But God gives us his spirit so that we can hear his truth and to keep us from going down a path of believing falsehood. 
This is the role of the Spirit. Here's 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's getting at that same point there, that the fruit of the Spirit in my life, there's all kinds of them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these other fruits. But one of the fruits is hearing and appropriating, believing, following. The Spirit keeps us attuned to the truth and not to any error. Now, some time ago, I was talking to a, a, a guy in our church, and he serves as a, a canine uh, police officer. And they, they live in my neighborhood, and um, I don't, they, they would care for the—they had, this, they had this, the German shepherd, okay? And this was a gigantic German shepherd. I mean, it, it, the head on that thing was just huge. And when it walked around the neighborhood, it was, it was like when the, the T-Rex showed up in Jurassic Park, you know. All the glasses are shaking and every, all the buildings are shaking. And you're like, oh, they're out walking their German shepherd. It was just huge. And so always people were interested in, in you know, this great big uh, trained German shepherd. And I was talking to him one day about it. And I, I was talking to him about the commands that they teach. You know, they go through rigorous training, uh, these police uh, canine units. Uh, I was asking him about the commands that the, 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 the German shepherd, um, that they use. And he said to me, he said, well, all they know is German. I thought he was joking. You know, German shepherds, all they know is German. And all French poodles know is French. Everybody knows that, right? And don't even get into the English terriers and the other things, right? Because he's a German shepherd, so all he knows is German, right? So I thought he was joking. He goes, no, seriously. All the commands are in German. And I was like, well, why would they teach American German shepherds commands in German. And he said, well, think about when a dog is being used. It's always a moment of confrontation. It's always a moment of chaos. There's violence. There's, uh, you know, the potential of, of danger. And there's lots of words that are being said by the guy that's being pursued or the, the criminal or, or and the police officer or whatever. And so in order for, to make sure that the German shepherd does what the police officer wants, and not the English that the, the supposedly the, 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 the uh, criminal or whatever they're chasing knows. They teach, they teach the German shepherds German. So all the commands are in German. I was like, oh, that's really smart, right? Because you can see the dog, can't you? In the midst of, you know, there are three bad guys and they're chasing the bad guys and the bad guys are yelling, stop, or, you know, don't, or uh, heal, or, you know, <laughs> whatever they might be saying. And they, that, they need that dog to only hear what the police officer is saying, right? So the German shepherds are really good at hearing and discerning German and they don't pay any attention to any other language. Why? Because they're German shepherds. So if you ever run a German shepherd, don't say angreifen. That's attack in German. I looked it up. Okay. Don't ever say those words around a German shepherd. Now here's what John is saying. He is saying that Christians are like canine German shepherds. We live in a world where there's all kinds of words, all kinds of people saying all kinds of things. There's all kinds of teaching and all words are teaching in some way. There is a cacophony of sounds and words. And within this cacophony, Christians live our everyday lives. We walk around and what, but what are we doing? We're listening for German. That's what he says. Whoever knows God listens to us. By the Spirit, we are able to discern, in the midst of all the error, German, truth. 
and to not listen, appropriate, believe, embrace any other language, any other truth, any other teaching. And that spirit that is in us, his voice is greater than any other voice in the world. So essentially what I'm saying tonight is Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Some of you are going, oh no. I don't know German. Am I not saved? You're missing the point. It's an analogy, okay? It's an analogy. Can you hear the truth in the midst of all of the error? In fact, what would you say about a German shepherd who claims to be a canine dog but doesn't know any German? Or what would you think to yourself if you saw a German shepherd with the French poodle attending an assembly about learning French? That well, no German shepherd would ever go to a French class or ever be a part of it. And what about what if you saw the German shepherd watching a program on TV about French and going to the French bookstore and buying books by his favorite French teacher? And you you see him coming out of. Family French (laughs) store. (laughs) And you say, you look like a German shepherd, but you're acting like a poodle. And he says, I am a canine German shepherd. And you say, no, I don't think so. Why? Because German shepherds only hear German. The real ones. You can't be a police dog. All true Christians hear and follow the truth by the power of the Spirit enabling them to discern what is true from the cacophony of what is false. And it is one way that God keeps us saved. It's one way. Now, towards the goal of discernment, I'd like to um, spend a little bit of time just talking broadly about this with you. And I want to equip you. Okay? I want to equip you. What was going on in, in, in this time that John writes about was a Christological issue. Okay? A Christological issue. So John gives a Christological test. Right? No one that denies that Jesus is come into the world in the flesh... Uh, is, is, uh, is of the Spirit of God. Now, you might leave here and say, well, that's the only thing that matters then, right? No, it's not. It was a specific test for a specific falsehood. But there are many other falsehoods that the church and Christians deal with. You can read through church history. There have been struggles about the nature of God and the nature of Scripture and the nature of salvation. And there's been just so many things. And if you leave here thinking, well, this is the only one thing that matters, uh, it's, a, it's a naive perspective on the battle for truth and the battle for the gospel. So to that end, I'd like to give you some common categories of teaching, okay, that often trip God's people up to help us identify these in the future. Here's a category. I've got several. Mostly true. Okay? Mostly true. This is what Satan did in his temptations in the garden. He quoted God and he quoted Scripture mostly right. He got it mostly right. But there was the intentional not right that he put in there that became, that became the temptation, and ultimately it was the heresy. And this is probably, I hate to say this, but this is probably the most dangerous one. 
Because we hear certain words, and they're kind of like comfort points for us. So, like, if you go to visit a church, and there are guys talking, blah, 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 God, blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 cross, blah, 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 salvation, blah, 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 gospel, you're like, oh, it's a good church. It's a good church. Why? Because there were certain little touch points that created comfort inside. These people believe the way that I do. And yet, there is all kinds of gaps in there within which falsehood can lie. Let me give you an example of this, and this is just history. If we went back 100 years ago, the thriving churches in America were, were the mainline denominations. Okay? Lutheranism, Methodism, Presbyterianism. To this day in, in the cities of, even in downtown Chicago. Go to downtown Chicago, and what are the biggest, most beautiful churches that are down there? Presbyterian churches, old Methodist churches, etc. I mean, they're massive. They're beautiful. And the people that built those were very sincere Christians. And yet today, what do you find in most mainline denomination churches? Really big, beautiful buildings and nobody going. Why? Well, part of what happened was, and this is multifaceted, but part of what happened was... There was, a hundred years ago, within the church, mostly true. They began to say things like this. You know what? Jesus cared for the poor. Jesus loved people. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to do the same. Don't you think? And all the people are like, amen. I, that's true. We need to care for people more around here. I, I, amen to that. And they preached it, and they preached it, and they preached it. And over time, the root and the fruit were confused right? Do we need to love people? Absolutely. We've been talking about that in First John over and over again. But what we've tried to emphasize is that loving others is not the condition of our salvation. It is the byproduct of it. And when you mistake the fruit for the root, you do not have a tree. You do not have salvation. And so all the sermons a hundred years ago in these beautiful, big, flowing, filled with people churches about loving other people and getting involved in those things resonated with people because it felt sentimentally right. But that is not the gospel. Okay? The gospel is not first and foremost meeting physical needs. It is meeting spiritual ones. Christ died for our sins. That is a spiritual need. It has huge physical byproducts as we care and love and fellowship and unity of the church and all these things. But that subtle, mostly true has devastated denominationalism. Okay. Can you hear mostly true and identify what's not true in that? Beware. Second category, true but emphasizing the wrong things. True but emphasizing the wrong things. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we have somehow got hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. And we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. And so what happens oftentimes in churches and with God's people is all of a sudden they, get, they veer off and they get... They get on something that's good, I guess, and important, and they elevate that to being the big thing. And they're all about that one big thing. It's all about that instead of it's all about him. It's one reason I like our theme of it's all about him, because it grounds us in what this whole thing is about. It's Christ. And the danger is always to take something that's good and important and that we should care about. A cause, right? Or our country. Or even gifts that God gives. I mean, think about the, uh, the, 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 in some of the extreme sort of charismatic circles where the whole thing is about spiritual gifts. We're all about spiritual gifts. Okay. Did God set this whole thing up to, to be about that? I don't think so. It's a wonderful, glorious, good gift that God gave to serve the ultimate purpose of bringing glory to Christ. And you see how these other things can, when they move into the place of center, they sound right. And God's people, well-intentioned, can kind of go along with that. But it crowds out what ought to be at the center. 
And over time, you now have a church that is off kilter and caring about things, secondary things, and making them primary things. Third category, right words, wrong meaning. Right words, wrong meaning. You know, again, there are certain words that make us feel good. Like if I get up here and I preach, and you are zoning out like maybe some of you are, but then I say a word like, you know, like gospel, forgiveness of sins. I could throw out a big word, justification. You know, you throw those kind of words, people are like, oh, mmm. It's my kind of sermon. That's mean potatoes. Why? He's using those words. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Oh, I like that. It's like meat to the wolves, right? Because they're the right words. And what a lot of dangerous teaching does is it uses the touch points of the words that we find uh, spiritually significant, but they are not meaning them the way that the Bible means them. And this is all over the television. Take a word like sin. Sin's a word that kind of gets God's people going. Why? Because we know we're sinners, and the Bible's all about sin. What are... What, 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 what do dangerous teachers do with sin? They emasculate it. They shade it. They down, they, they say the word, but by it, they don't mean what the Bible means by the word. It sounds right, but the meaning is not the same. Or even like Jesus died for us. You know how many liberal heresies have come out of that simple phrase? He died for us. Oh, really? For what? To inspire us, to give an example of loving others, to show us ultimate sacrifice, to show us the love of God. Did he bear personally the guilt of the sins of the world vicariously in his conscience and in his soul? Well, no, I wouldn't want to say that. I wouldn't want to say that. But he did die for us. And isn't it expiring that he did? And the words are shaded and they're kind of subtly twisted. I mentioned his name earlier, so I'll say it again. I've already stepped on the Osteen toe. I'll just step on it again and say, you realize that is what health and wealth preachers do. They have just enough that sounds kind of right. But they are not meaning those things the way that we mean them and the way that the Bible describes them. And so they throw out words that sound right, like eternal life, riches, healing, atonement, judgment. And they probably don't talk about judgment. But they don't mean what the apostles meant by those words. And behind those words is a spirit of error leading tens of thousands of people astray. This guy's probably about to die, so it's maybe safe to say. Robert Schuller is another example of this. Who believes that the problem that we have is we don't realize how good we are. And that God's love is some statement about our inherent worth and value. That's not a direct quote. That's a summary. But there's, I could find direct quotes behind all of that. And the millions and millions and millions of dollars that God's people send to him or have sent over time no longer. Is that really our problem that we're, we don't realize how good we are to go before a holy God? No, that's not our problem. Our problem is we don't realize how bad we are. We don't realize how sinful we are. We think we're good people, and that word sounds good to us, tickles the ear. But the story of the Bible is not that Jesus died for good people. He died for sinners. And his death is not a statement of our worth. Rather, it is a statement of his love for the Father and even for sinners, enemies of his, that he loved us like that. 
And you see how it can sound right, but it's not quite. And the undiscerning Christian can be led astray into that kind of thinking. And it's not long before you're buying into the presuppositions that are behind it. So the French poodles hear that kind of thing and they go, that sounds encouraging. But the German shepherds are like, (laughs) so that's kind of what I'm wanting around here is a, how about a little barking instead of all this poodle nonsense. Final category is the one that we want to land on. Biblically true and provable. And quickly, to tell the story, you've heard of the famous Bereans. Paul went to the Bereans after he'd been at Thessalonica. And the text says that the Bereans were of more noble character uh, than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't care that he claimed to be an apostle. They didn't just listen and go, okay, whatever you say is fine. They got out their Bibles and they said, let's see if what he is saying is true. Their Bibles were open. Their minds were open. We want to be learners, but their Bibles were open and they were discerning the truth. And they were examining if what he said is consistent with what God said. And that's the vision of our church, by the way. Don't listen to everything that I say or anybody that stands up here in this pulpit like whatever is said here is the gospel truth. Have your Bibles open. Have your German dictionary right there. And listen discerningly. Do not be gullible. Do not be easily led astray. No matter who's saying it, including me. God's people cannot tolerate any spirit of error. I would like to think if somebody stood in front of this church and gave a message that was not true, that there would be an outcry. An outcry against it. So what are we to do? We are to test the spirits. Listen with discernment. Identify the falsehoods. Identify the false teachers and don't listen to them. And think about what lies behind the teaching. Is it the spirit of God, truth, or is it the spirit of error, falsehood? And listen for what is true, biblical, and exegetically faithful to God's word and the historic gospel handed down to us from Jesus and the apostles. That's the kind of church that we must be. Or a hundred years from now, we'll be like so many others. At one time, flowing full of people, so many things going on, now empty. We don't want that, do we? Well, that's a good place for an amen. Don't be afraid. Not everything that, (laughs) you're probably like, I don't know what to amen anymore around here. (laughs) That's a safe one. In a hundred years, we want our church to be standing on the one true gospel as passionate as ever for Christ. That's what we want. So may God protect our church from all error and cause us to love all God's truth wherever it is found. Let's stand together for prayer.